You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Well, good morning. Glad to hear y'all are awake today on this nice, bright, beautiful, sunny Florida day. Believe it or not, this is not the hottest place in the world that uh, we've ever been. This past um, August, we, or excuse me, not August, that's this past August, August is still coming. Anyway, um, this past um, May, we spent some time in Asia, in Thailand, and the Philippines, and another country that I really can't say since we're live streamed. But uh, I think I was the hottest I've ever been before in my life. Um, we got a little taste of Florida because the place that we stayed, kind of right on the Mekong River, not far uh, outside of a, not far from a place where we're ministering, uh, a little lady there has what they call a little resort. It's kind of like little cabins. And one of the cabins is decorated in the Disney theme. So I walk in and there's Mickey Mouse all over the place. So I got a little taste of or- the Orlando area while we were in Thailand. But let me tell you something, we walked in that room, and they tried to air condition it, but the floor was so hot, I think you could have fried eggs on the floor. And I know that because I about fried my feet on the floor. It was really, really hot. So it's kind of like being in wintertime, being here right now, compared to what it was then. But uh, my wife, Joy, who's sitting right down here, uh, honey, go ahead and stand up so they can see how beautiful you are. And um, she and I served the Lord uh, through a ministry that God called us to, and that we started about five years ago, called R1 Ministries. It stands for Romans 1-5. That's the verse of Scripture God used to call us into the min- to this ministry. And we travel globally working with churches, working with uh, the servants of the Lord all over the world. God has kind of gotten us uh, honed into a couple of parts of the world right now. We're spending a lot of time in Asia. We had the opportunity while we were there in May to spend some time with some of the persecuted church. Probably one of the most... Um, heart-wrenching and yet maybe most uh, sobering statements, John, I've ever heard in my life. Uh, It was the Tuesday after Easter, I was teaching on the evidences of the resurrection for a group of pastors who who suffered greatly for their faith. And at the end of the the time, one of the older men uh, uh, spoke to the crowd and and, uh, the translator told me what he said. He said, I want you to know, men, that the next time And for them, it's not if it's going to happen, it's more when it's going to happen. The next time they come and take you to jail, you tell them the reason you're willing to go is because Jesus lives again. And uh, amen for that. Praise the Lord for that, for sure. But I tell you what, I sat and I listened to that, and I've taught about the resurrection. I've preached about the resurrection pretty much all of my ministry life, and I've never had to worry about, am I going to go to prison for preaching that message? And yet these men stood there and are willing to say, yes, because Jesus lives, I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do. So we have a wonderful, awesome privilege of being there in that part of the world, not only with that group, with some other groups as well. We spent a lot of time in Norway. It's a totally different part of the world, but yet it's a very dark part of the world. They desperately need the gospel. We work with some student groups there. Uh, get involved on college campuses there in weeks called Skepsisuka, which means Skeptics Weeks. We take American college students there, and it's kind of an apologetics week on the campuses of universities in various cities in the, in the, in the country of Norway. And uh, also do some work in the Dominican Republic with both a, an American man that's serving down there as well as a Dominican pastor, and uh, just a privilege to serve the Lord. I could go on and talk about a number of the other places that we go, but, but our heart's desire is to be there to encourage them. Because while the fields 
truly are widened to harvest and the laborers are few. The truth is there are some laborers on the field. And my wife says it this way. He said the, the fields are widened to harvest and the laborers must stay. And so we're doing what we can as called by and directed by God to do everything we can to help enable the laborers of God to stay where God's called them through encouragement, through equipping, and through enabling others to come alongside and do the same thing. I'm very thankful for the mission's emphasis here at Central. I uh, thank God for your pastor, the privilege to be able to stand in his uh, absence and preach God's Word. And, um, and I'm very thankful for the mission's emphasis that he gives and that this church has. I'm praying that God will use you in a very, very special way in the days ahead. Um, so it's a privilege to be here. Again, uh, I want to thank you, Pastor. I wish he was here. I want to tell you something. I've told my wife this several times because I listen to your services online uh, in various parts of the world. A lot of times on Sunday morning, if I'm at home, you're an hour ahead of where we live. We base out of the Nashville, Tennessee area. And uh, before I go to church, I try to catch in on the service. The music is so much better live, I think, than it is online. I enjoy it online, but boy, what a great time of uh, worshiping the Lord in song today. But I love to hear your pastor preach. And I've told my wife, honey, if we lived there, that's the church that we would go to. I would find a way to be in this church. Uh, and I don't have to know you. What's most important to me is how is the Word of God being presented and how the Word of God is, is uh, 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 lived out and being faithful to. And your pastor gives a great representation of that, not only when he preaches, but also how he lives his life. I'm thankful you've got a pastor that doesn't just talk about reaching the world. He's doing what he can to reach the world. And yeah, amen. Praise the Lord for that. I hope that you will never, ever, ever take that for granted. Well, I'm sure you miss him while he's gone. But uh, I think his being away at times like this, doing this, not only extremely important for those that he goes to visit, but having been a pastor for 17 and a half years, I can just tell you, it does something good for your pastor's heart. It kind of revitalizes him. It recharges him. And when he comes back, I think he comes back with a fresher and a more uh, vibrant energy to be able to make sure that people are being reached right, right here in this community. So let's take our Bible, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. I've been given the, uh, the task of talking to you about marriage and ministry. And, um, you know, as I, as I prayed about this and I thought about this, there were so many different passages of Scripture that I could go to. We could have gone to any one of the, the passages on the Great Commission and talked about that. We could have gone to Romans chapter 1 the verse of Scripture that God used to call us into this ministry. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 in recent days, especially if I go places and they want to they um, talk about missions. And boy, what a, what a great passage of Scripture that is where we're seen to be living epistles. And as living epistles, we want to make sure that we don't faint, we don't quit, because it's our goal to do everything that we can to, to reach those that are in the dark, darkness. Because if the gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But Paul goes on to say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have the light of the image of God. We have the glory of God literally living inside of us. And if we're going to be able to, if the people in darkness are going to see that light, they're going to, they're going to receive that light we're the tools, we're the vehicles, we're the instrument, we're the method that God has ordained for them to be reached with the gospel. And so we could have done that. But the focus here has been on the family. And, uh, and you've been going through Ephesians chapter 5 so far. I've heard all the messages but the first one. And, uh, and in many ways, what I'm going to say today might be a little overlap 
But in Ephesians chapter 5, there's not only great instruction about our individual life and also our family life, but as you go through that, there's a lot of missional terminology there. There's a lot of truth in this chapter that when we understand it, we begin to think about it and we apply it not just to our individual life and into our home, but when we apply it into life outside of the four walls of the church and outside of the home, we begin to realize that God is shaping our life. He is calling us to live lives so that we can reach the world with the gospel. And one of the greatest ways for that to happen is through the home. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read just a couple of verses in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip over to um, the, towards the last part of chapter 5, and we'll pick up there. So verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5, you follow along in the Scriptures, I read aloud. The Bible says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now let's skip over, if you don't mind, to uh, verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Uh, hang on, I've got to scroll down here. I normally preach from a King James, and I understand y'all use ESV, and I like that one too. So I'm, i got the King James here, and I'm going to refer to that during the message, but I'm going to read from the ESV, and i got it on the computer. Aren't we blessed when it comes to the computer stuff nowadays? Man, I, we are so blessed. I've got to get back to the message, though. Submitting one to another out of, out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, uh, for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, he, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. I want to go and read to the end of the chapter. Because we are members of his body. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you join me in prayer? Father, would you take your word, and would you do the work of the Word of God and your work in our hearts today. Lord, help us to see truth that will transform our lives, not for our sake, but for your glory. And so, Lord, that we might be a people, not just as a church, but as families, as homes, that are able to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see that as individuals inside of the home, that you design for the home, the believing home, to be lived out and to be built and to be, uh, to be in such a way that, that we represent not only your love for us as believers, as the church, but Lord, also your love for the world. So Lord, give us things today that will help us not only understand that, but help us live that out as a family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to understand one basic thought this morning. And I want you to just kind of be in the forefront of your mind as we walk through this passage of Scripture. 
that when a, the Lord has designed the home in such a way that when a believing husband and a believing wife, and, and I say believing because you have to understand that this is not possible for unbelievers. They can't mirror what Ephesians 5 says the home is supposed to mirror. So this is specific for us. So when a believing husband and when a believing wife live their home and live out marriage as instructed in the Scriptures, especially here in Ephesians 5, I would call this passage kind of the, the key passage of, of the home. When we live it out as instructed in the Scriptures, the resulting relationship or how our home functions, how I love my wife, how she loves me, how we work together as a home, the resulting relationship presents a clear picture of Christ's love for His church and therefore also for the world. Let me just read that again without making comments. When a believing husband and wife live out marriage as instructed in the Scriptures, the resulting relationship presents a clear picture of Christ's love for His church and the world. In other words, one of the greatest privileges that we have as a husband and wife, a marriage our home established 33 years ago this coming Friday, one of the greatest privileges that we've had for the last 33 years that as we walk together as a husband and wife, as God has instructed us to walk together, is to give a living picture of what it means for Christ to love us, believers, the church, but also, I believe, to love the world. Now that's a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? I mean, if you begin to kind of think about that, and really kind of ponder through the responsibilities that, that we have, for, for me as the husband, to be Christ in the home. That's pretty huge. I mean, we know what Jesus did. He died for his bride. Whoa. That puts it at a whole nother level. We know that. But then, you, you've got a wife who's been instructed to submit herself to another human being. That's pretty big too, isn't it? By the way, you can, you can try to make that say anything you want to say, but can I just tell you, it means exactly what it says. <laughs> John, John wanted to kind of avoid a little bit of that last week, but I'm going to meddle just a little bit. I'm going to stir the pot. I'm going to leave and let the pastor come back and really fix it all up. Amen? But if you want to understand what that means is, and really understand that it's not some torture that God's trying to put you through, ladies, you understand that we as the church do the same thing to Christ. I've never heard a believer say, you know, boy, God sure is mean to me because He wants me to follow Christ. Never heard that said. But what a huge responsibility for my wife to follow me. And after 33 years, she can tell you, I don't always live like Jesus. You didn't have to amen that one so readily on that one. Sounds like somebody else who agrees because they understand the same struggle it means to be Christ inside of the church. I mean, inside of the home. That's true, but it's true. I'd love to have been a perfect Jesus inside of our home for 33 years, but I haven't been. But I still can be that way and live that out in a way that honors and glorifies God. Just as she has been a lot better at it than I have, and that's what you've got to say as a husband, but she is the wife really has not been perfect at submitting to me. And we work together on that. So how do we do that? How in the world 
do we accomplish this overwhelming task in one sense, but yet this great privilege and this great responsibility of having our marriage be missional in nature? Well, I want to give you three simple thoughts from this passage and look at some things that go with it that I think will really help us with this. Number one, we've got to understand as individuals, there's a certain way that we've got to make sure that we live individually. And it's pretty simple. As individuals, we must walk as followers of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. If I am going to eventually be Christ in my home, if she is going to be like, like the church in the home, then we individually have to commit to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, he gives three pretty simple instructions about that. The first one we read in verse 1 and 2. And it, it says, we're to walk in love. Now, he uses the word walk, at least it's used in the King James and I think maybe the ESV. This word is used at least three different times in the first uh, 16 verses of this chapter. And the idea of walk doesn't mean as you put one foot in front of the other. But it's a term that carries the idea of how you live. And I like the term walk because walk kind of gives the idea it is a long-term process. You're not just running a quick, quick race, but this is something that should describe the way you live. So as believers, we're to walk in love. And how do we do that? We do that as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. So simply put, as, a, as an individual, as I walk in love, I need to be willing to make sacrifices to love others. Now when you think of love, there's two things that you must think about. Number one, you have to think about the great commandment. And the greatest commandment in all is to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might. So to walk in love means I'm going to love God with everything that I am. The second commandment is just like it. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. By the way, is that not exactly what he says later on in Ephesians chapter 5 about how the man loves the wife? You're going to see and as you study and as you read through this passage of Scripture, you're going to see these things parallel and they'll go hand in hand. By the way, I can just give it give you a little piece of advice maybe i think one of the th things that we we shortchange ourselves on when it comes to sermons and preaching is that we come we listen to the preacher preach we listen to the passage we hear what he has to say we say man good sermon good truth we fold our bible up we go home and what's going to be next week i think you would get so much more if you would go home and if nothing else at least once or twice if not every day of the week think about let me go back to that passage let me reread that what more can i learn what more can i gain so when you, when you look at this passage, you think about walking in love. Man, it permeates the passage. There's another thing I want you to think about too, especially when we think about being missional in nature. Because walking in love, if I love God and as I love my neighbor, Jesus said in John 13, that's the best way for those outside of the world to know you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? So it's pretty simple. I want to live as an individual, as a person of love. Go on down, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 5. And let's look, if you would, in, um, in verse number 7 and verse number 8. In verse 9. The Bible says, be not therefore partakers with them. And he's talking about people that are living outside of love. They're basically living in lust. And there's a little bit of a, a contrast that goes on. He says, for you used to be in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So the second way I need to live is I need to live or I need to walk in the light. Now that's a, that's a pretty, big, uh, pretty big subject in some ways, but the reality here is, as I walk in the light and I think about a passage like 2 Corinthians 4, and we are, 
we are, we are the light of the world. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5 as well, I believe it is. Or, yeah, we're the light of the world in the Sermon on the Mount. That, that the light that we have that he's referring to is really Christ in us. So he's talking about Christ, in essence, being in me. I don't have light without Christ. And to be a child of light means I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have received him. He has made me accepted in the beloved. And he has come to dwell in my heart by faith. So the, the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul said to the, to the church at Colossians, uh, Colossae. So to, be a, to, to walk as a child of light, really for all practical purpose means, not only as a person walking in love means sacrifice, to walk as a child of light means I am submitting to the one who is in me. And I'm allowing him to, to be lived out through me so that people can see him in me. Now, just so you'll understand that, that this passage substantiates that, look at the next verse. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. In other words, when you are walking as a child of light, light reveals goodness, it reveals righteousness, it reveals truth. It reveals you living like Jesus. And these are the things that are acceptable in the Lord. So as an individual, I choose to walk in love. I choose to walk in light. But then he comes down to verse number 14, 15, 16, and he talks about walking in the King James, it says circumspectly. I kind of like that word. And the reason why I like it, it makes you say, what's that mean? And if it'll make you stop and think, what's that mean? Maybe you'll do a little digging and try to figure out exactly what it means. So what does it mean? Your version may, or another version may say something like this, to walk carefully or to walk cautiously. The idea there is, is that I want to think about what I'm doing. I want to look at life and I want to think about this decision and how it affects my ability to walk in love and to walk in light. So that what I am essentially doing, I am walking in wisdom. And what he says in this passage, these verses, he says, I want you to make sure that as you walk in wisdom, you redeem the time and you understand what the will of the Lord is. Now that is a huge topic, the will of the Lord. But if I can just kind of narrow it down in, into this simple thought, if you don't mind. Living in the will of the Lord is simply living by the thus saith the Lord. It's simply living by the Scripture. If you want to be a wise person, do what the Bible says. Just do what the Bible says. I think one of the great weaknesses of the church is that we do not know how to think biblically. We don't face life with what does the Bible say. When we look at the home, and since we're kind of addressing the home, and a wife considers her role, instead of saying, well, the Bible says this, well, I don't think that's culturally relative. Where does that come out? Since when was the Bible confined to culture? Was God, is God not great enough? Is God not sovereign enough? Is God not wise enough to give us a book that would transcend every culture and every people? Can I tell you, in this day and time, John, I'm sure can tell you the same thing because he served internationally. I know your pastor can say, as we go and as we work, my wife and I do 
all over the world. I can tell you I have not found one place in the world where the principles of the Bible, when applied to life, don't work. So as an individual, and i got to move on, I walk in love, I walk in light, and I walk in wisdom. I walk so that I can do what God wants me to do. And that's the best way to walk in love and to walk in light. So as an individual, I've got a responsibility. But then also as a family, I've got a responsibility. And I'm going to come back to verse number 18 at the end. But as you come on down to verse number 22 through verse 33, you have this description of what the home should look like. The first thing we have is how the wife is to live. And the wife is to understand that her responsibility is inside of the home is to submit herself to her husband as the head of the home. Now again, we could talk about that, but what I want you to see is, is how this mirrors and how this pictures Christ's relationship to us. He says, one of the statements he says, you do this just like the church submits to Jesus Christ. So one of the characteristics inside of the home, and I would say according to the Scripture, in many ways is led by the wife's example, but also should be, should be uh, exemplified by the husband, is an attitude of submission. Now here's what submission is, pretty simple. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Boy, that's hard sometimes, right? When you want to do what you want to do, that's kind of tough. When you want to go buy those new pair of shoes and you're not sure he's really going to be excited about it, it's kind of tough, isn't it? When you want to go play golf and you don't think she really wants you to go play golf, I'm kind of picking on me right there on that one. It's not real easy to do. But the reality is, not only does she in her role inside of the home, and that's a lot of what's being talked about here, have a responsibility just like I as a believer submit to Jesus Christ, and I say, Father, your will be done on this earth, not mine. That's kind of what we're doing together. And she, according to the Scripture, in some sense kind of leads the way on that because that's her role. Now, I should say this, verse 21, before he ever starts talking about the role of a wife or a husband, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So men, we need to understand, we can never, ever really love our wife without submitting ourselves first to Christ and then submitting ourselves to her needs secondly. By the way, again, that comes back to walking in love and loving God and loving our neighbor, right? See how the walking in love kind of transcends right into the relationship? So there's great sacrifice that takes place. Folks, you do understand that when we go out in the world in this day and time, this is not the way the world says the home is supposed to be built. What an opportunity for a wife who's chosen to live according to the thus saith the Lord has to to witness and testify to her friends who when they begin to question, why in the world do you do that? You can sit back and say, well, I do it because God instructs me to do it. And because my life is given to Him, and I want to love my husband by loving God supremely. And since since this is the way God says to do it, I'm going to do it. And can I tell you, 33 years into the thing, it works. There's a second thing, the second idea inside the home. Not only is there the idea of submission, but there's also the idea of sacrifice. Men, that's where our role comes in. (coughs) We love our wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it that he might 
cleanse it. And presented to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Sounds a lot like walking in the light that is based in goodness and righteousness and truth, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like that. You know why? Because it is. So what I want to do as, as Christ in the home, just like Christ in me brings light, I want to bring the light of Christ into my home. Through loving my wife in such a way that she knows that she truly is the most important person in all the world to me. Amen? So there's, there's this attitude of submission in the home. There's the attitude of sacrifice in the home. And by the way, she's got to do that too. We've really already kind of talked about that. But then there's the third thing that he talks about. And this is where he really kind of, kind of narrows it down to saying, I'm speaking concerning Christ in the church. And that's where he talks about a husband and a, a husband in particular loving his wife by nourishing her and cherishing her. And those two terms are pretty simple. The idea of nourish means to feed somebody. And the idea of cherish means that you, you take care of them or that you comfort them. So why, why, why do you feed people? Well, you feed people so they don't die. Okay. By the way, just for all you people that love ice cream, today is National Ice Cream Day. I found out, declared by Ronald Reagan, that great president, the greatest act that he ever ever did was to dare, declare July the 21st National Ice Cream Day. So part of nourishing your body today is to eat ice cream. Amen. We don't even have to take a church vote on that, right? Since it's already the law of the land, and we, since we're good Christians, we want to obey the law of the land. Amen. That, I, that may be twisting it a little bit, but it worked, so we're going to do it. Anyway, you feed somebody. You feed them to give them the nourishment they need to have a sustainable life, right? But you don't just feed somebody. You then take care of that person. You, you provide the things that they need to come alongside so that the food really has the opportunity to fully benefit the person and that person can grow into a mature, physically healthy individual. And that's exactly what the Bible says that the husband is to do as he loves his wife. So that the idea inside of the home, let me make it simple, is we, sacrifice, we submit ourselves to one another and we sacrifice for one another. We are doing that in such a way that we sustain the other person. And in sustaining that person, we provide them strength and we provide them energy to be able to be all that God wants them to be so that we then truly exemplify Christ and his love for the church because isn't that exactly what Jesus does for us when I think about that I almost automatically think about when Christ when I think about Christ taking care of the church I think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 when he talked about his thorn in the flesh remember that he said three times I asked God to remove the thorn and I think when he says three times, I don't think he's talking about just three little prayers. Lord, I got a thorn, would you take it out? I think probably what that means, I can't prove it, it's my opinion. But I think what it means is that Paul probably got away maybe a day, two, three, four, maybe a week and focused prayer, maybe even fasting. God, would you please remove this thorn? And every time God said no, because he wanted Paul to understand something, that when he was weak, God's grace was strong. And that you're always stronger when you're weak and you're living in the energy of God's grace. And I think what the home pictures, at least the Christian home pictures, 
is it pictures the fact that we don't live in the power and the energy of our flesh. It's not about how strong we are because we're weak. By nature, we're selfish. But when the Spirit of God comes in, He enables us and He strengthens us to be able to be what God wants us to be. Which leads us back to verse 18. The glue that pulls it all together. It's the cream in the middle, you might say, of the Oreo cookie. And that's living daily, filled by the Spirit of God. Now, I'm just about out of time, so I've got to get through these things really pretty quickly, okay? As you study this passage of Scripture, there are three pretty simple results to being Spirit-filled. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way, Ephesians 5.18 has nothing to do with whether you drink wine or not. It's a contrast. The whole passage has been a contrast. Just like love has been contrasted to lust and, and, and light has been contrasted to darkness, he's now contrasting a, a person who is controlled by, by some exterior substance in his body. In this case, a psychoactive drug that, that really does control a person uh, compared to a person who is controlled by the Spirit of God. The one who created the universe. The one who said, let there be light and there is light. The one who gave you life from, from, your, from your death uh, from sin. He says, be filled with the Spirit of God. And when that takes place, it frees my lips to speak of God's greatness. Not only does it free my lips to speak of God's greatness, speaking to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord, but also it, free, it frees my life to serve others. That's why he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I, I can't submit myself to her without the Spirit of God taking control of me. I'm not naturally a submitter. I'm naturally selfish, just like you are. And so when the Spirit of God comes in, He frees my mouth to speak of the greatness of God, but He frees my life to serve my wife. <coughs> and eventually, He frees our home to be a living picture of Christ in the church. Yeah, it's a great responsibility. It's a big opportunity. But when the Husband and the wife come together and they decide, you know what? We're going to be what God wants us to be. We're going to live in love. Can you imagine if that permeated your home? We're going, to, we're going to seek to both be children of light inside of the home. And all that we do, we're going to walk wisely. We're going to do our best to think biblically. How does the Bible say we should handle this conflict or this situation? And, and we, will, we will wait till God gives clarity on that. Because we're a people that understand inside of the home, it's about submission one to another. It's about what can I do to care for you? Which means sacrifice. It's about me giving myself to you. It's about all of my life for all of you. So that we can have what God intends for us to have to sustain us for every step of the way. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you pretty quickly. Uh, this is something I hope that I don't forget anytime soon. But one day we were coming back from the Dominican Republic. And uh, we fly an awful lot. Delta likes us a bunch. And because we fly a lot, they've given us some status. And one of the nice things about getting status is every now and then they bump you up into the, the front side of the plane. And on this particular trip, we got bumped up to the front side of the plane. But Joy was sitting on one side and I was sitting on the other side. And as we made our way back into the plane, there was a a gentleman sitting in the seat next to where Joy was going to sit, and I just came back and I said, hey, would you mind if 
I sat next to my wife. This is about six or seven years ago. And, and I said, we've been married for about 27 years now, I think is what I said. And I said, she still kind of likes me. And he kind of chuckled. And he said, no problem, sure. And I'm telling you, my backside no sooner hit the seat, and his no sooner hit his, he looked at me and said, how'd you do it? I said, what do you mean, how did I do it? What do you mean? He said, how'd you stay married so long? And, um, and I found out that he had just recently gone through a divorce, not something he wanted, but something he was enduring, about the best way to say it. And so for two and a half hours, except when they served us a little meal, and even through that, I just told him, I said, well, the truth is, I said, we're not perfect, but we know the Lord. And we just simply tried to build our home based on what God says us to do. And what God gave me was a perfect missional opportunity. To be able to share with a person who was hurting, who was struggling, who needed hope in the midst of darkness. To be able to show him that, let me tell you something, there is hope, and it's not found in the world, it's found in Christ. Now, here's the great thing about this particular individual. I won't tell you the rest of the story. I'd love to tell you that his marriage got back together. It didn't. Because it takes two for a marriage to work. It takes two for a home to be missional in nature. Not just the husband, but also the wife. But God gave us a friendship. And we, we continue to talk. I've seen him probably three times in my entire life. He, he supports our ministry. When we first started, I, I say this to you, he sent me a letter and had a check in it, which was kind of neat. And he told me something at a time where I desperately needed to hear from God. Because we went out, God said, I've, I, God gave me the peace. Listen, you don't need to ask people for money. I'm going to take care of it. He sent me a letter and he says, I want you to, I love your brother and a lot of encouraging words. He said, I'm praying one day that God would allow me to put a million dollars into your ministry. I said, amen, praise the Lord, I'm praying too. But he more than said it, he put a small check in there. And I thought, you know what, Lord, Here, here's what that said to me. Lord, if you can take somebody I've seen one time and give them a heart for that, you're big enough to provide what we actually need. And can I tell you, five years in, he's done exactly that. But this man and I became friends, and I began to talk to him about his identity and position in Christ. He would later on tell me that year, not that I transformed his life, but that the whole truth about who we are in Christ had completely changed the way that he thought. And his life is, a, is different. By the way... He really wants to get married again, but he's not married because he's not going to settle for anybody less than what the Scripture says a wife ought to be. But the story gets better even than that. The Dominican Republic that we had just come back from, he now is taking his business and he's come into a ministry there that we've been working with. He was trying to go somewhere else, but because God connected us, he's now connected to this other ministry, and he is, he is fixing ready. He and some colleagues are getting ready to set up a computer lab inside of a, a school inside of the Dominican Republic to train Dominican people to be able to be involved in, in a certain part of the uh, computer industry. And he's using that not just from the standpoint of helping them when it comes to that part, but he wants to use it as a means to reach people with the gospel. How did that come about? Because 27 years before that, God took a young lady and a young man who got some great counseling, by the way, from her father, and said, listen, this is the way you build your home on the dust, saith the Lord. And up to that point in time, for 27 years, not perfectly, but we've tried to do that. And now almost 33 years, and let me tell you something, when you do it, not only does God bless the relationship here, but it primes you to be able to make an impact in the world. 
And I'd say to you this too, what we're doing now globally, it would be impossible for me to do by myself. It would be impossible for her to do by herself. But together, what God has done and is doing is beyond my comprehension. So can I plead with you this morning to do something? Number one, think about how your home is being built. How are you living out the marriage relationship? How are you doing it as an individual? How are you doing it as a couple? What type of missions team are you, if you don't mind me saying it that way? I know some of you in here are not married. And what you really need to think about is the first part of what we talked about. How are you living in love? How is your life being a light? How are you walking wisely? How is God using you to impact somebody else who either needs the gospel or needs to understand living God's way really is the best way? And when that takes place, and we do that, and we really concentrate on that and allow God to work, man, one of the most powerful missional tools in all the world is activated. And that tool is called the home.